It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hey, this is Spencer Torkelson. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Welcome back. We have a lot to get to. We had a little bit of time off, and now we have a chance to come back, regroup, get a chance to look at everything that has taken place in the Tigers minor league system over the course of this year. And it's not just the minor league system. We also get a look at the Arizona Fall League, some of the very best prospects in all of Major League Baseball, made their way to Arizona, and we get a chance to look at the outstanding performances of some Tigers prospects. Maybe not necessarily top 30 prospects, but maybe they should be because of the performances they had against some of the best competition Minor League Baseball has to offer. This is the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. I'm Dan Hasty. Our producer is Nate Wangler. We have plenty to get to you here on this episode of the RTD. We talked about the Arizona Fall League. We'll get into that in a moment. We also have a rundown of the awards, the roadies here in 2021. We'll let you know who took home the roadies coming up a little bit later on in the show. Well, we all know what happened at the major league level. The Tigers concluded the season 77 and 85. And look, they checked the boxes they needed to check this year. They have a lot of people around baseball that now see how this team can look as it returns to prominence. Now it's just about adding those pieces that can supplement the minor league talent that A, it already has in the big leagues, and B, some of the players it has in the pipeline. Going to be a very interesting offseason, probably the most interesting in the last five years for the Detroit Tigers. Let's wrap up the seasons for some of the minor league teams. We'll start with low A Lakeland. The Flying Tigers finished the season strong. They were really well under the 500 mark, but they ended up 55 and 63 in 2021. Part of that was winning eight of their last 10 games. Meanwhile, on the backfields of Lakeland, we were talking about players who might be top 30 prospects sooner than later. Manuel Sequeira, the 18 year old out of Venezuela, we talked about him a lot. He hit 246, but he had a ton of home runs 11 homers. Had 40 runs batted in, was player of the week twice down the stretch when he was tearing the cover off the ball. Looked like the light bulb went on for him by the end of the season. Really interested to see where he starts out next season. As for West Michigan, the Whitecaps came just four wins shy of reaching the 500 mark. They were 58 and 62. They're actually one win away from their 2000th win in franchise history. So if they get a win on opening day next year, it'll be a historic win. At the plate, Gage Workman had a great close to 2021. The 0-1 pitch to Gage Workman on the way. Swinging a high fly ball, deep right center field. Back goes Lawrence Butler, he looks up. This ball is over and gone! Gage Workman has a home run here in the eighth. And the West Michigan Whitecaps have tied their season record for runs in a ball game. It was Workman who probably hit the ball as hard as anyone wearing a Whitecaps uniform all season long. That power comes speed as well. He finished hitting 246, but he had 13 home runs and stole 31 bases 
very interested to see how his offseason goes and to see that power continue to develop. Eric De La Rosa, we'll talk about him coming up a little bit later on when we get to the Arizona Fall League, but he spent most of his 2021 season with West Michigan, ended up playing parts of the season at three different levels. He became one of the biggest surprises in the entire minor league system. It's an amazing story. After hitting just 148 through 56 games in short season Connecticut the year prior, De La Rosa finished 2021 hitting 273 with a 370 on base percentage, eight homers, stole more bases than anybody else in the Tigers minor league system with 34, plays good outfield defense to go along with it, flashes power, has good speed, and has really taken a lot of steps in terms of his mental processing of the game. Speaking of which, coming up a little bit later on this show, we are going to speak to a couple of the Tigers Arizona Fall League participants. Eric De La Rosa is scheduled to join us. And Zach Hess, a former Tigers seventh round pick out of LSU, will plan on talking with Zach a little bit later on in this episode. Maybe there's a couple surprises to come in store as well. As for Erie, the Seawolves had a solid season. They went 64 and 55, finished third in the AA. Northeast-Southwest Division. Yeah, that's the real name of a division. Can you believe that? <laughs> Erie also had their logo showcased at the MLB Futures game. Both Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson hit back-to-back for the AL side. As for Ryan Kreidler, it's hard to tell if anyone boosted their prospect stock in the Tigers system as much as Ryan Kreidler did this past season. Going from a fourth-round pick out of UCLA a couple of years ago who didn't hit all too well down in short-season Connecticut, he made himself a case to not only be a Tigers prospect, but on some lists, a top-10 Tigers prospect. A turnaround season in 2021, he had hit just 232 with Connecticut. Well, how about taking that talent to double-A and hitting 270, 22 home runs, 58 runs batted in between the time he spent in Erie and Toledo. Meanwhile, the Mudhens had the best season of all the minor league affiliates, finished in first place in the Midwest Division, a 74-56 and record for the Mudhens. So that's a rundown of how the Tigers' full-season minor league affiliates did in its totality here in 2021. Meanwhile, because the season is over, we now know that the Tigers will draft 12th overall in the 2022 MLB draft. And as we get into the nuts and bolts of the offseason, I enjoyed the article from Jason Beck on Tigers.com. It was the FAQ section of what to watch for for the Tigers offseason. And at one point, he does talk about the Rule 5 draft. That matters quite a bit. Think about it. It might impact a team like the Tigers more than it does a lot of other major league teams. Think about the talent the Tigers have found in the Rule 5 draft. Akil Badu was in conversations for the AL Rookie of the Year at one point this season. So the question becomes, which of the Tigers' current prospects need to be protected in order to ensure they won't be selected in the Rule 5 draft? Well, Jason laid it out. Infielder Cody Clements, who we've had on this show before. Actually, all the players that need to be protected are all players who have been on this podcast. Reese Olson and Paul Richin. The Tigers' numbers 18, 11, and 25 prospects will be Rule 5 eligible unless they're added to the 40-man roster. Jason also mentioned some unranked prospects that have a case to be rostered as a part of the Rule 5 selection process. He mentioned righties Logan Shore and Garrett Hill, who we saw pitch very well in West Michigan this season. Elvin Rodriguez, 
Righty reliever Will Vest, he was actually a Rule 5 pick last year. Seattle drafted him. Angel Jesus and Chavez Fernander, all players who would have a chance to be picked in the Rule 5 draft. We were talking about Chavez Fernander. We can look at what happened in the Arizona Fall League. The Salt River Rafters. That's the team the Tigers prospects filled out. Spencer Torkelson, Ryan Kreidler, and Riley Green all were supposed to start that season together. Riley Green missed the Arizona Fall League due to an injury. But Kreidler and Torkelson started out. Kreidler ended up with an on-base percentage near 400. Meanwhile, Spencer Torkelson... He was third in the Arizona Fall League in batting average. He had 450 and tops in on-base percentage at over 600. He came to the plate 27 times and got on base 18 of those times. And this is against some of the best prospects in all of Major League Baseball. So he checked a lot of boxes and showed us that he can hit and see the baseball well against top flight competition. Walked eight times, drove in a couple of runs was top 10 in the AFL in on-base plus slugging. He did it all, and then he had to leave with an injury as well. So did Ryan Kreidler. So a couple of players got shut down midway through, and in Riley Green's case, before the AFL had started. The player that replaced Riley Green, Eric De La Rosa, he did just fine. Hit almost 300, two homers, four runs batted in, stole a couple of bases, and had an on-base plus slugging of nearly 900. For somebody who wasn't even expecting to be in the Arizona Fall League, I'd say Eric De La Rosa handled it quite well. We'll plan on talking to him a little bit later on in this episode of The Road to Detroit. On the mound, Zach Hess tossed four innings, giving up five runs, and Chavez Fernander. He ended up going five innings, gave up one run on two hits with five strikeouts. Good showing by Chavez Fernander. That's a look at the numbers from the Arizona Fall League. Let's talk to some of the players who participated in the AFL here in 2021. As the Road to Detroit, presented by Carhartt, continues. The Road to Detroit, the season finale here on the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. It's the Arizona Fall League edition, the legends of the fall, so to speak. And one of them has been somebody that we've gotten to know very well over the course of the past couple of years in the Tigers minor league system, although we've really had to start paying more attention in 2021. Eric De La Rosa enjoyed a breakout season in the Tigers farm system, playing in three different levels of the Tigers minor league chain. He joins us here on the RTD. Eric, it is great to see you. How we doing, Dan? It's great to hear your voice, man. It's great to hear your voice. <laughs> it's fun to have you. It was even more fun to watch you play. We saw you have more success than we had ever seen. And to have watched where you started after having been drafted, a former seventh-round pick back in 2018 from a junior college, Grossmont College, you ended up having to really learn on the fly. And this is not an easy game. This is not an easy experience for many. And there was a steep learning curve for you. You went to Connecticut and hit 148 as recently as 2019. And then you fast forward two years. I don't know. Maybe the pandemic was good for some of us because you came into West Michigan and Lakeland before that, Erie after leaving the Whitecaps and had a season some people would simply dream about. What was it about this year that unlocked everything you had been working so hard to find? 
Perfect. First and foremost, you know, before I get started, I just want to thank God, because if it wasn't for him, all this wouldn't be possible and I wouldn't be here. Um, yes, it all started 2019. Um, 2019 was a season where I kind of lost the person that I was, you know, the happy guy showing up to the field, loving what he loves to do. And in 2019, I never struggled or failed that much in the game of baseball ever and I was just really in my head and I'm just not a guy I put a lot of pressure on myself and I worked so hard and 2019 was just a season that like I was just super confused on like why is this happening to me like I worked so hard I put in all this work but 2019 was it was an eye-opener for me to realize what I needed to work on who the player I needed to be and the pandemic, you know, right when I got home from 2019, I, I took three weeks off and I went right back to swinging. Usually guys take two months or three months off of swinging the bat. And I went straight to it from 2019. And I was just like this. My mentality was this is not going to happen again. And I needed that time, that 2019 offseason, even that 2020 coronavirus, you know, that that absence away from the game was a uh, got me able to get that confidence and be the person that I know I am and the hard worker and just the guy on the field that everybody knows and what I was drafted for at this level you're not going to get many guys that have success everywhere they go every single level it's always easy for them but Usually in college, for example, they've had a pretty reasonable amount of success or, or maybe not so much anything that they might describe as a setback. Well, you had a bit of a different college experience. Before you went to Grossmont, played junior college, you went to the college team at San Jose State. And is it true that you were cut by that team? Yes, I was. Um so at a D1 school, when usually when a new coach comes in, and this is before I got cut, I didn't know this information, but usually when a new coach comes in, they, they, they do something that's called clearing house. So because they didn't recruit the guys that were there, they pretty much bring in a whole bunch of guys that they want to play for that team, and they cut all the guys that were already there. But where I was blindsided was that before I came up to San Jose State that year, the coach called me. He was like, I'm so excited for you to come up. Like Omaha this, Omaha that. So I was super fired up. I worked so hard that summer, you know, because I was my I was coming off a red shirt year. So this was my time to shine and win a spot. And I was the fastest on the team when I got there. I had the second strongest arm in the outfield as a freshman. I was getting in trouble and I would get in trouble in weights if I didn't smoke the guys that were running next to me. Like I was completely blindsided. The coach called me into the office. He said, hey, can you can you come in the office before practice? I said, yes, sir. No problem. Thinking he's going to offer me a scholarship because I've been showing my – I've just been playing so hard. I've been diving in, in batting practice to show this coach, you know, that I'm here. Like, I'm here and I'm ready, you know, to prove this coach, like, I'm a contender. I, I can compete at this level. And he just called me in his office straight up and was like, Delarosa, come in. I'm like, how you doing? He said, I'm going to be straight up with you. I said, yeah, coach, like, why wouldn't you be straight up with me? He goes, you being here is not going to work. Just like that. He had no reason. He didn't tell me I wasn't – he didn't tell me I 
couldn't throw. He couldn't tell me I couldn't hit. He couldn't tell me I couldn't run. He just straight up said, it's not going to work being here. You're not good enough to play Division One baseball. And that was the day that it just flipped a switch in my mind that I was going to prove this man that I can play Division One baseball. But what ended up happening is I didn't even play Division One baseball. I ended up getting drafted. So he's a big – he was a big motivation. That's why I'm happy everything happened the way it was because if it wasn't for him to tell me that I wasn't what I can and cannot do, that wouldn't I wouldn't have worked as hard to get back and to be better than what I wanted to be. I feel like we all need figures like that. No matter what profession, we need somebody to tell us we can't do something. And then all you did was go and hit over 430 in junior college, 14 homers, 60 runs batted in, 24 stolen bases, and by the way, in 38 games. Yeah, I bet that would be what gets somebody drafted in the seventh round. So (laughs) you end up getting picked and then you have this year in 2018, a short season. You you come up to West Michigan. 2019, you don't make it out a short season. And then 2021, there's another light switch that flips for you. And it ends in the Arizona Fall League. So I'm dying to know, how would the Eric De La Rosa of 2019, how would he have handled the Arizona Fall League versus this version? Oh, yeah, that the Eric De La Rosa of 2019, he would have said, oh, man. He wouldn't have been able to sleep because that boy was lost. I don't even remember that year. I don't. But the best thing is, is that if you look up my name, you still see it. You know, you still see what happened in 2019. And it just it just makes me so, you know, pumped up because that's the hard work I put in. In 2019, in 2018, me being drafted, I just thought that all I needed was to play more. And then that was going to get me better in baseball. So that offseason, my first offseason, all I worked on was, you know, trying to get bigger, trying to get faster. And I didn't really think about like hitting. I was just like, you know what, the more I the more I swing, the more I play baseball, I'm going to get better at hitting. Well, then that's not the case with pro ball. The game is about adjusting. And after 2019, that's when I realized I need to see a hitting coach. So I need to go home and I need to work on my swing, you know, not just I need to be a baseball player not a bodybuilder. And that's where it all started. You know, I really, coming out of a junior college, my job, my, my job was to, you know, hit home runs on my team and in pro ball, it got exposed. My weaknesses got exposed. And in 2019, I really, I really got to during that year. I knew what my weaknesses were and I still didn't figure it out. Baseball, you never figure it out because it's a game about adjustments, but I had a better sense on what did I needed to work on over the off season. And I'm just glad that, you know, it, it, it paid off. And now I just got to continue to work even here in the fall league. We're talking with Eric De La Rosa. So you mentioned adjustments. What adjustment, is there any specific move you made through the course of this season that you're proudest of? Um, yes. So in 2019, I had a, I had a fat, when I first got drafted, I had a big leg kick and leg kick can hurt you or it can help you. And for me, it, it, I was, I was way too inconsistent with it. And I was swinging that pitches way out of the zone. And I just, it was just, I was opening up, flying open front shoulder. So sliders I was swinging at. And so the big adjustment I made was I, I, I something called a hover. And it's, it's not a leg kick, but it's like my, my eyes stay more quiet. 
with my head and my, my eyes are able to recognize pitches better when I have a less moving, you know, body part. And I learned how to, and I'm still learning how right now that I'm in the fall league is trying to, uh, to get into my back hip and, and carry that stretch as long as possible before I release. But yeah, that was the biggest, um, that was the biggest um, adjustment was, you know, finding something where I can still be athletic, still be the person I am, still have the swing that I, I got drafted for, but giving my eyes a chance to just be able to react with my athleticism instead of swinging at things and thinking I have to cheat to the ball when I actually have more time to see the ball than react. With being in the Arizona Fall League, you're playing not only with some of the best prospects across Major League Baseball, but you're also playing against some of the best prospects in all of baseball. Has there been a time where maybe you've seen one of your teammates or one of the guys on the other side do something and say, I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. You know, being here, being here is a blessing and just being here. Let's makes me realize that I just, I, I can be, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those dudes, you know, cause I'm right here with them and I'm competing right there with them. I'm getting hits just like they are. I'm hitting pitches just like they are. But yes, of course, like some of these guys here just have it, you know, so picking their brain or learning something about their approach, you know, it's always things to note down. There's, there's incredible, there's incredible baseball players here and they're, it's on every team. It's like an all-star, it's like an all-star game, every game. So just to see, you know, how I'm competing coming from the year, you know, I had, and then being here competing with the best prospects and showing that I belong is is just you know a lot of hard work paying off but yes there's Torkelson before he got hurt that man is he's different you know and just you know seeing how he comes in day in day out and does what he does on the baseball field is just something that's everybody loves to see whoever loves the game of baseball so just picking picking guys brains on each on each one of the teams you know we get to talk the different coaches you know, just just learning different areas of the game is all going to help. Among all the things you did, the 270 plus batting average, the 370 on base, the 34 stolen bases. Is there anything that you're the most proud of? I want to say stealing bases. And I think I could have stole more. But, you know, me, me reevaluating myself as like a speed guy, you know, I'm 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 fast. And I know, I know I can, you know, leave the yard a little bit and I can hit for average. That's, that's why I was drafted. So just to see, you know, the success, obviously hitting a home run is good. And I had zero in 2019. And for me to hit eight this year, that's a big, that's a big um, jump. But I wanted 20 bags and I ended up stealing 34. So I was really excited about um, what I did there i surprised myself there before the season started i said i wanted to at least hit 270 i wanted to get 20 doubles and i wanted to hit seven home runs and 20 bags Hmm. and i surpassed all of those so and i blew out what i wanted to do for stealing stealing bags so and i just want to continue to get better and grow you know i i don't i think i can i can do way better than what i did this year i just got to keep learning and keep and keep working hard 104 games this year for eric de la rosa 34 stolen bases only to be outdone by 
37 extra base hits this season. Eric De La Rosa, a phenomenal year for you. So happy to see the learning process take place with you and to see what it started like. It's it, it, You really are the, the real-life meme of how it started versus how it's going. And for the and, and, and the biggest thing, you know, for anybody that listens to this and, and for those kids out there, the young teenagers that are Tigers fans and love the game of baseball, it's baseball is hard. Baseball is hard, and you just can't beat yourself down. You know, the game is all about it's, – it's a game where you can fail 70% of the time and still be a Hall of Famer. And that was a big thing I had to learn. And and just if I have a bad game, it's okay because I'm happy because tomorrow is another day where I get to play the game again. So it's not putting so much pressure on yourself. Being, being a hard worker, yes, you want to be great. You want to be successful. But it's all about the process. It's all about the process. And at the end, it's all going to pay off. It just goes to show – your journey is not over yet, but physical skills, they're important. No doubt about it. But mental skills, every bit is important. Of course. And that, and that's where a lot of, and, and yes, baseball is a very mental game. This is the only game where you can do everything right and still not have a good, uh, have a good day on paper. So it's just understanding that. And even out here, like in the fall league, everybody's everybody that's on the field is all, you know, is an above average defender. So you can hit balls super hard on the barrel and they'll catch it. And then you get a, a bloop single or a soft hit ground ball. And that's a hit, you know, it's just the game of baseball. It's the game we love and it's a crazy game, but we all love it. So can't complain. Eric De La Rosa, EDLR, joining us here on the Road to Detroit podcast. Really, really fascinating stuff from you. Congratulations on a phenomenal 2021 season. But have a great <laughs> offseason. We'll see you in 2022. Thank you so much, Dan. It's not often that we have talked on this show about the Tigers trading a minor leaguer in exchange for major league help. And on the very first day of the Major League Baseball offseason, the Detroit Tigers did exactly that. They ended up acquiring Cincinnati Reds catcher Tucker Barnhart, the two-time Gold Glove winner, in exchange for minor leaguer Nick Quintana, who we've had on this podcast back in 2019. Barnhart gives the Tigers a left-handed hitting option at catcher, and as his resume suggests, plays some of the best defense in all of Major League Baseball. So some big news for the Tigers, as for the first time in a long time, the road to Detroit helps bring in some big league help. The Road to Detroit podcast, the season finale presented by Carhartt. It's the Legends of the Fall edition. We talk about the Arizona Fall League. And, you know, you've got to have quite a resume to end up in the AFL. We've talked to Eric De La Rosa as part of this show. He had an exceptional year playing across three different levels. Well, it might not feel like he's played across three different levels, but ever since he was drafted back in 2019, he ended up in West Michigan. That was when they were low A. Then in 2021, he went back to West Michigan. That was because they were high A. And then he finished the season playing in double A Erie. This is Tiger seventh rounder, Zach Hess. He joins us now. Zach, good to see you. Good to talk to you. How you been? I've been doing good, Dan. Really good to see you as well. It's crazy because it doesn't feel like it's been a trip through three levels for you because 
a lot of people who have seen you in West Michigan have seen you since back in 2019. But of course, that low key change from low to high A gives you increased competition. Then you go to double A and now don't look now, but you're in the AFL. Like that's a big deal. Talk to me about what you're seeing now versus what you were seeing even just a couple of months ago. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been a whirlwind, uh, um, especially factoring in like the COVID year um, and getting to experience, um, you know, that, that whole thing. Uh, but uh, the AFL has been awesome. I think it's been a really good experience for me as, as well as some other guys. You know, I think when you look at the guys that are in the Arizona Fall League, it's typically young superstar prospects who teams are hoping that one day they can build a team around or you're dealing with some older type prospects that are fighting for 40 man spots that are close to big league ready. So um, it's a lot of talent. It's a lot of like seasoned veterans um, that are knocking on the door of the big leagues. Um, and, you know, it's been an awesome experience getting to um, play uh, with and against these guys. Um, I think it's, it's helped my game, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron in the sense that, you know, the better competition you're going to face, you know, it's going to challenge you to, to up your game and, challenge you to you know raise the stakes and you know take it to another level so being around that um has been awesome for me and excited to wrap things up here and ultimately get ready for 2022 next year you know you talked about how players kind of fit into one of two camps which (laughs) side of the fence do you feel like you're on you know for me i don't really necessarily feel like it's it's either for me um you know i'm pretty self-aware in the sense that I am a relief prospect. I know that um, a team probably isn't going to build uh, their their team around me in the big leagues. Um, but at the same time, this isn't my 40-man year. Um, so I'm, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. So with that being said, um, I kind of use the Arizona Fall League as an opportunity um, to continue uh, to refine some things. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't the most ideal thing to go into your first full year in 2020 and then you know, we had a global pandemic that ended up canceling our season. And uh, I don't say that um, to complain. Uh, I know there's a lot worse things that are going on in the world than, than baseball getting canceled. Um, and we were very fortunate uh, in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, we did lose that time. So uh, I think the fall league is an excellent opportunity for me to kind of, you know, make up for some lost time that I had in, in the 2020 season and, you know, use this as a development period more than, than anything. Um, Cause I know I'm not competing for a 40 man spot. So for me, it's, you know, let's just continue to have the big picture in mind and, and take a, a futuristic uh, perspective in things and, you know, use this more so as like a development period, as opposed to, Hey, let's go out and, you know, try to win a 40 minute job. We were talking with Eric De La Rosa just a few moments ago, and the conversation came up of where, you know, thinking about being in a place like the AFL, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if there's a guy out there, you know, throwing 82-83 and Eric De La Rosa hits a 440-foot home run, all the scouts in attendance just go, oh, well, that's because the pitcher is, is garbage, <laughs> right? So, like, on the other right. side, if you're going up against a hitter who's hitting all of 132 and you strike him out, well, it's like, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. So this is where you want to be. You want to be going up against the best players. Regardless of the results, these are the guys that make you better. 100%. And um, I think uh, something that – you know, 
not everyone might know um, is that you there's actually a decent amount of guys in the league that um, have big league time. I mean, I can just think off the top of my head, a few that we have on our team, uh, Jordan Sheffield, I think almost played a full season this year uh, in the big leagues and in, in the Rockies bullpen. Ryan Belade uh, got up, got called up to the Rockies uh, towards the end of the year. Um, I actually faced uh, Lars Newtbar the other day for the Cardinals who's had some big league time. So there, there are some guys, um, you know, that have had some big league experience here, which is, which is awesome. Um, Cause you get to, when you face those guys, you get to see, okay, this is ultimately, you know, the, the type of player that I'm going to have to compete against day in and day out. And you get to see, you know, their strike zone awareness uh, from a pitcher's perspective, you know, what it is that uh, they're more susceptible to what they tend to swing at more. And, you know, I, I think as you start to move up the chain, just you, you, hitters become a little bit more disciplined. You know, they hammer mistakes more and more. Um, and you have to be uh, more competitive in the strike zone. A lot of those things that you get told when you're a young pitcher of finishing guys in, in four pitches or less and winning the one one counts, winning the the two two counts, um, you know, get to, get to two strikes as quickly as possible. Um, those things become more and more prevalent and there's more pressure uh, placed on those things. So, um, you know, you just have to continue to work. And, and this is a great opportunity to get your work in and challenge yourself in a competitive environment and, you know, face the guys that you ultimately want to go toe to toe with on the big stage one day. We're talking with Zach Hess. What does it mean to you to watch the success of players at the big league level with somebody like Chris Fetter in the sense of guys who had been there before Chris Fetter came along who weren't posting numbers as good as they are now that the new regime has taken over led by AJ Hinch how does that come off to somebody like you trying to get there trying to move up I mean there's a lot of change happening in this system right now a hundred percent um I would say when you see something like that, uh, from my perspective, it just gets you more excited to get yourself up there and have the opportunity to work with someone like Chris Fetter. Um, I got a little bit of a taste of it this year uh, in big league camp, and it, it doesn't take being around Chris too, too long to figure out that, you know, he really knows what he's doing. He, he's a brilliant mind. Um, and I think our fan base was able to see that this year with some of the work that he did. Um, some of the pitchers on the big league staff and how much he was able to help them elevate their game in or in just the span of, you know, one season. Um, so I think the future is really bright uh, for the pitching staff, not just in the big league level for the Tigers, but up and down. Um, I think it's going to be an exciting time for all of us to develop. And, you know, hopefully it, it ends with uh, all of us getting a taste of Detroit at some point, but um of all the data and analytics in the world, uh, we're living in the golden age uh, for analytics right now. But if you're not able to simplify that, refine it to the point where you can communicate it to their guys so they can make it tangible, well, then you're doing nothing. Um, but I think the staff that we have up there now, in my opinion, does it better than anybody in baseball. Zach Hess joins us. A 342 ERA during the season. The best ability, availability, pitched in 45 games. He led West Michigan in saves, 52 and two-thirds innings, just 40 hits against. Opposing hitters hit just 212, and he struck out 69 batters. So from the analytical perspective, I mean, and obviously there's a lot more that goes into it. Strikeouts per inning is a big deal. And Zach has struck out far more than a batter per inning and is now working to carry that into double A, triple A, and beyond this season. What are you most proud of from what you accomplished in 2021? 
Well, you know, going into the year, um, you know, first, first month was not great for me. Um, you know, was, was kind of relying too much, uh, on the fastball. Um, but I think Willie Blair, my pitching coach and, and I did a great job working with me, um, last year. Um, and we actually, I think my MO, um, up until this year was that I was like a two pitch reliever. Um, and then once June started to come around, I was getting hit around a little bit, um, not having, uh, very much success. Um, basically if I was going out to a game and, you know, my slider, uh, wasn't able to land it in the zone at will, my teams just started to spit on the, my breaking ball and just sit on the heater and, you know, were able to punish me pretty well. Um, so we actually were looking for a third pitch for me to add. We played around in, in big league camp of me having a curveball, Um, but my slider actually had a good bit of depth to it this year. So having a curveball to the mix didn't make as much sense anymore. So we decided to go, uh, with a modified, um, split change. And once we started to institute that, uh, that's when things really started to take off for me, uh, in 2021, uh, just gave me another look to give to hitters, something to keep in the back of their mind. And obviously the more pitches that you have in your arsenal, the more that the hitter has to game plan for that. Um, and the less they can sit on pitches. So we started to deploy that towards the end of June. And I think the second half really just took off for me. Um, it was able to ultimately get up to, to Erie. And I think um, with the addition of that pitch is what ultimately helped me get to the fall league. So it's been something that is continues to be a work in progress. It's, it can, needs to continue to get refined in order to be a true weapon at the big league level. But um, I think some of those early struggles uh, that I had in the months of May and the early parts of June led me to a new pitch. So I think what I'm most proud of to get back to your original question is the fact that, uh, you know, just continued to put the nose on the grindstone, you know, didn't get discouraged early on, just continued to work. And ultimately some of those early failures, I think led me to a new pitch that, you know, I think is ultimately going to make me a better pitcher down the road. It's almost in the sense that, you had to take a step backwards in order to go two steps forward. So um, I'm excited about that and just excited to continue to work that out. It's funny you mentioned the timeline because you see the numbers in June when you're installing that new software, right? And then you go to July, mm-hmm. July 1st through the remainder of the season, 29 and two thirds innings and an ERA of 2.12. The bulk of that is the closer in West Michigan, which ended the season in a promotion to double A. And then, of course, it kind of feels like a promotion as well to get a chance in the fall league. We were so excited to see that opportunity for you. And we can't thank you enough for joining us here on the Road to Detroit podcast. A lot of fun watching you pitch. Continued success the rest of this season. And obviously get yourself some rest going into 2022. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, Dan. You have yourself a good offseason. I'm looking forward to seeing you down the road at some point. Welcome back. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, it is now time to go over best in class, but this is a special edition of The Road to Detroit, kind of our offseason special, so to speak. This time we get to do the best in best in class. We get to look at all of season two here of The Road to Detroit podcast, and we tally it all up. And we tell you who took home the most best-in-class awards. It's all part of an elegant ceremony we like to call the Roadies. That's right. I see Nate Wangler. He wore a cummerbund this year. (laughs) 
Nate, good to see you as always. Thank you for being here. You as well. Thank you. All right. So it is a very intense time. I know that Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson have been pacing backstage for hours, worried about how this was going to go. We have to get to these awards. But before we get to best in best in class, like to get you to a couple of the winners of some of our other awards this year. We did these same awards back in 2019. We'd be remiss if we didn't get a chance to do them again. Back in 2019, the Most Outstanding Pitcher Award, courtesy of the road to Detroit, went to Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning. I'd say those two have worked out fairly well. This is kind of a wide-open competition this year. Of course, Reese Olsen was acquired by the Tigers midway through the season, the trade deadline, but the winner this year is Bo Brisky. To Bill Brisky! Oh, that's, that should be the drop of the year. Can we can we double up right now? Bo Brisky, the most outstanding pitcher of the year, and what you just heard right there, our most outstanding drop of the year. <laughs> Narrow victory over tough act and time added, by the way. Boom. Boom. <laughs> most outstanding defender. There are a handful of really good defenders in the Tigers minor league system. We saw great plays from Eric De La Rosa, from Gage Workman. But the winner for this season's edition of the RTD, Ryan Kreidler, who is the phenomenally talented shortstop who made his way from Erie up to Toledo to end the season. You know, we've talked about some of the good power numbers that he posted and how he was able to drive in runners and really put together an outstanding middle of the lineup, whether he was in Erie or Toledo. When you're playing with Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, it's easy to get lost in the sauce. But Ryan Kreidler did himself a huge service over the course of this season, not just being productive as a power hitter, but also as a terrific defender. Congratulations to Ryan Kreidler. All right, it is now time for our best in best in class. Here's a hint. The winner of best in best in class has also taken home our most outstanding offensive player of the 2021 regular season. A drum roll, please. Nate just started punching the desk. <laughs> it is Riley Green. This one belted deep right field. Right fielder doesn't even move. Riley Green crushes it and it's gone. Touch of all time, Riley Green. That's number seven on the year. And the Seawolves are on the board. Congratulations to Riley Green. This was probably the toughest call of any of the roadies here in 2021. There were two exceptional players in terms of winning the best in best in class, but Riley Green took home more best in class awards than did any other Tigers minor league player. What an outstanding season. You know, he just celebrated his 21st birthday. Happy belated to Riley Green who joined us on our last edition of The Road to Detroit. The numbers for being just a 20-year-old as high as AAA this year make him, in my opinion, one of, if not the best prospect in minor league baseball. He hit over 300 between double and AAA, going up against players two, three, four, five, six years older than he is, hit 24 homers, drove in 84 runs, played phenomenal defense in the outfield, and oh yeah, 
he decided to steal 16 bases as well. There's just so much to like about the skill set Riley Green, and that's a reason that he's this year's best in best in class. I think we might know who might get the Dylan Rosa Award here this season. Nate Wangler is here to confirm our suspicion. Yeah, Dan, I feel like there's only one natural number two when we talk about Riley Green being number one, and and these two are interchangeable in that regard, and that's Spencer Torkelson, the winner of the Dylan Rosa Award here on the Roadies. And we brought up the stat a lot throughout the course of this regular season, but I think it is important to mention Spencer Torkelson struck out nine of his first 12 ABs in professional baseball. His first year of professional baseball this year with the Tigers, he turned things around relatively quickly. 30 home runs on the year for Torque, 267 batting average, so plus 250, drove in 91 RBIs. That batting average dropped a little bit as he went up the levels, but the power has never gone away for Torque. He hit 11 bombs in West Michigan. 14 in Double A Erie, capped off with five home runs in Toledo before the end of the season. I, I, I don't think there is any holes in Spencer Torkelson's game. I think he's proven to be the well all-around player that, that we were expecting out of the MLB draft. The only thing is, is what is the timetable getting him up to Detroit? You know, Whether it's soon next year, towards the end of the year, I'm not quite sure what it is, but expect to see him wearing an English D at some point soon. His first professional baseball season, 270 batting average and over 380 on base percentage, 30 homers, more than 90 runs batted in, and he didn't get best in best in class. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 is, that is the best problem to yeah. have, right? Yeah. I mean, think about how great of a season that is. And then just take a step back for a minute and realize that there's somebody else who has been every bit as good as a number one overall pick and somebody that was regarded as one of the best hitters to come out of the draft in decades. This is a great development, and this is kind of understated right now. The fact that the Tigers have two players playing as well as one another, they would be runaway number one overall prospects in any system. And the fact that the Tigers essentially, they don't really have a number one and two prospect. They have a numbers 1A and 1B. 1B, So to see what they've done, to see what Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green have done, I've already been able to check in with Spencer. He has wished a congratulations to Riley Green. It wasn't necessarily a concession (laughs) call, but he he is happy for his good friend Riley Green. I'm, I'm just, I'm elated. I think from a fan's perspective, I think you have to be so encouraged because you know the Tigers need position players. You know that the Tigers are looking for catalysts on an offensive perspective. They need the straws that stir the drink. They need the engines that drive the car. And these two players, for the next five to ten years, if not more, fit the description of what that could look like. And to know that those two players are in the pipeline – plus whatever the Tigers have coming behind them and maybe some help from the outside coming in sometime this winter. It's a really exciting time to see what this looks like because now we finally have the names as this slowly starts to take shape. Not only that, but the strategy for Detroit was to go position player heavy in the draft over the last two years, and that is starting to show its face not only in Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, but in some of the other names that we've talked about, the Ryan Kreidlers of the world. That group is coming up together, and um, I can't help but to be excited 
at not only as someone that covers the Tigers, but someone that cheers for the Tigers. Congratulations to Spencer Torkelson, the winner of this year's Roadies Dylan Rosa Award. I'll be on my way to Arizona, I'm assuming, is where he is right now. I, I mean, there was the Arizona Fall League, but I think he lives there, too. Yeah, awesome. Okay, <laughs> on my way. And also a congratulations to our honorable mention of the honorable mentions. Dylan Rosa takes home this year's edition of the honorable mention to the honorable mention of his own award, the Dylan Rosa Award. Congratulations. <laughs> As the Road to Detroit podcast continues, it's now time for. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Somebody's at the door. A surprise guest for the last RTD of the season. He is the one and only, but he also goes by the one, one and only Spencer Torkelson. Welcome back, my friend. It's good to be back good to see you again you know we've had some time since the last time we talked ironically we had you on what's technically considered the last episode of road to detroit but since that time it must be nice for something like the arizona fall league to take place in the state in which you now reside first off for people who don't know much about the arizona fall league describe that experience for us i mean first and foremost it was it was a great time and uh there's a lot of great players i mean I'd say organizations, depending on um, that, you know, the health of the players, their prospects, they send and the, you know, the limited innings or whatever the pit with the pitchers, you know, they send their, their, pro, their younger prospects to the fall league to compete against other young prospects in other organizations. And um, I had a great time and I met a lot of good dudes from the, uh, from other organizations. Like my team was with the, uh, we were the salt river Raptors and we were with the Mets Brewers, Diamondbacks, Rockies, and the Tigers. So um, it was a good time. I met a lot of good people, and, um, you know, I'm happy to – it was also, also awesome to be in Arizona. Yeah, sometimes I think when I was younger, I would watch players wearing the Tigers uniform, and I would be surprised as to how they were so buddy-buddy with players on the opposing teams. And now that there, there's a little perspective on this – Places like the Arizona Fall League is where you meet people like that, isn't it? No doubt. And you no doubt. And, you know, when you get in between the white lines, it's all competition. Yeah, they're your buddy. You know them from the Fall League or from college or summer ball. But, you know, when it's time to compete, you know, it's time to compete and you're trying to beat that person. Then when then when it's all said and done, you can hug and, you know, dap them up and say, good game. But, you know, when, when the game's going on, it's it's time to win. You got to face some really good talent, as you said, but you also got to play with some really good talent. I saw Ryan Kreidler played a couple of games. You played with him in the minor leagues this year, but also Eric De La Rosa, who, if you did play with him, I wouldn't expect it was very long and eerie. But what were your thoughts on some of your Tigers organizational teammates who got to play in the fall league as well? You know, it was really fun being able to play with them. And, you know, they're still playing right now. They had a game today, but uh, Zach Hess, uh, Garrett Hill, um, Chavez Fernander, Ryan Kreidler, and Eric De La Rosa. It was fun. I so the pitchers kind of do their own thing, you know. They're on a their different schedule, but um, it was really cool to be, you know, to have friends and teammates going into this thing to help you build relationships with other guys, almost. But uh, Kreidler's he's awesome, you know. He's a leader and works hard, and he's fun to play with. And then Eric De La Rosa, he's just like a spark plug, you know. He has great, great energy, great vibes around him. And he works hard and he, 
you know, he wants to be a big leaguer and, you know, he wants to be successful and he, um, he's, he's a great teammate as well. So. We're talking with Spencer Torkelson, who will never tell you this, but we sure will. You had 27 plate appearances in the fall league and you got on base for an absurd 18 of them. And this is against top flight competition. And when I read your numbers, my first thought was, well, yeah, he played at all three levels this year. You do that in the fall league probably doesn't seem as scary. Did that have anything to do with it? Um. I, I think that definitely the experience level of my first full season of professional baseball helped with it. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of guys. There's some guys with like a cup of coffee in the big leagues or some triple A time, but most of the guys were low A, high A, double A, and um, nothing against that. Obviously, it's great competition, but I, I noticed tendencies that, you know, that they, they're trying to get ahead with the fastball. You know, and you, you kind of, you almost ambush it and, you know, you have an approach to it. And, you know, it was also, it was fun hitting in the Arizona air. You know, there's something about this air that I love to hit in. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of just, the stats didn't matter. You go out there, play free, and just have fun playing baseball is what it was. And um, it, it was a lot of fun, you know, getting on base that many times. Well, if your numbers in months like July and August are any indication, I can see why you like hitting in the Arizona air. Yeah. So <laughs> by definition, just in looking at what you did in 2021, starting in high A, going to double A, finishing in triple A, by that definition, you were pushed and you were moved aggressively through a system. Not a lot of guys playing their first year of professional baseball and that same season up as high as triple A. What did that feel like for you? Did it feel like you were pushed? I mean, I wouldn't obviously call it rushed. Your numbers were good enough to hang at all three of those levels. But how did you feel about the way that you were being challenged throughout the year? It's fun. You know, I, th I thought it was a really good move. I mean, as soon as, you know, someone proves that they can play the next level, why, don't you, why not challenge them, you know? Um, because without any challenge, you know, you're not going to get any better. You know, if you get too complacent, you'll kind of just stay right there. But um, I like, I really enjoy adversity and challenge and um, just, it, it makes you a better player and, you know, it makes you a better person ultimately. Um, and also being able to develop relationships with guys in all three levels that you're going to play with in the big leagues one day is, is also crucial. I got to feel like it's probably a surreal experience to think about where you were at this time last year, having never taken an at bat in professional baseball versus where you are now. How do you feel like you've gotten better over the course of the last year? You know, I, I think I just learned myself over the last year, you know, uh, whether it's in the weight room, what gets me ready, what gets me right in the batter's box, what gets me right in the field. You kind of just, your baseball IQ develops when you play so many baseball games and, and kind of in such little time, honestly. Um, but I, I loved it. And, you know, I wouldn't, I rather, I wouldn't rather do anything else in the whole wide world than play baseball for a living. So you hit over 400, your on base is over 600 and then you get dinged up. You left the Arizona fall league after those 27 plate appearances. Tell us what happened and how are you feeling now? Uh, so I was on, I was, a, I was a DH that day and I was uh, on third base, two outs. And uh, I, I was catcher. I was on third and catcher back pick to third. I go back pretty awkwardly. I didn't, 
it was like in between a slide and standing up. I, I was safe and I just go back to the bag with my right foot and uh, it just rolls on the base awkwardly. And it turned out to be like a grade two sprain. Um, not terrible, but definitely out for about six weeks. And uh, I feel good. You know, I was in a walking boot for two weeks just to take the pressure off it. And, um, crutches for a couple of days at the beginning because I didn't have the boot yet. But um, I feel I feel really good right now. It's obviously still a little weak and I start physical therapy tomorrow and I'll do that for the next five or six weeks just to get it back even stronger. But, um, it's another, you know, adversity, you know, I really like it. And I think it's like a blessing in disguise because without this injury, I probably, I probably wouldn't have taken any time off. I probably would have just jumped right into the fall league straight into my off season program. So, um, I think it's someone looking after me to take a break and kind of, you know, take it easy for a couple of weeks to let the, the mind and the body heal up and get ready for 2022. I was just thinking about it. I was thinking, well, what does an off season look like for somebody like you? And how was it going to look? And how does it change based on what happened? Uh, it, it is a little different because uh, the beginning of November, I guess, or yeah, right now is kind of the time where I try to build up as much strength as possible and it's hard to do that with my lower half right now with my ankle being a little banged up but so it just sets back my my like original program a couple weeks which isn't terrible I you know I still have plenty of time to get ready for the season but um I'm in so my house is uh I put a weight room in my garage and so I plan on doing my off-season program in there and um when Gage is ready or when my ankle's ready Gage is always ready but Gage and I, Gage Workman, will uh, go to his high school with probably some buddies and um, and just get our work in over there because his high school's five minute drive from my house, so it's a great place to get in work. Yeah, a Tigers organizational teammate and a college teammate, Gage Workman. So we know what your off season looks like. What are your off season plans for the mustache that I now see you having sported? Uh, so my, my good buddy in Arizona, I played, I, I was, uh, teammates with them and roommates with them in college, Brady Corgan. He's now the grad assistant at Arizona state. He, uh, he pretty much told me, he's like, you know, you don't have what it takes to grow a mustache this off season. I was like, tell me, I won't tell me I won't grow a mustache. And he's like, you won't. So I was like, all right, I have to now. So, um, I'm, I'm sporting a mustache. You know, my dad has a mustache. Brady has a mustache. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of a thing that, you know, it's, Mustaches can't lose. So <laughs> I hear there are hits in mustaches. Jake Rogers. Absolutely. Said <laughs> Absolutely. Well, consider it some well-deserved downtime. Assuming you can find some, sounds like you'll get a little bit over the course of the next couple of weeks, but obviously you've got some work ahead of you in some other ways. Spencer Torkelson, who now becomes the first ever Tigers prospect to appear on technically two consecutive Road to Detroit podcasts. I know that's just a huge honor for you. Thanks so much again for joining us and have a great off season. Thanks, Dan. Our thanks to Eric De La Rosa, Zach Hess, and Spencer Torkelson. We've had a blast here in 2021. It was so good to be back with you after not being able to do this podcast in 2020 for obvious reasons. Now we get a chance to do it all over again. And just like 2019, where we chronicled the seasons and the stories of players like Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize, Matt Manning, just to name a few, 
we got a chance to take a look behind the curtain at a couple of phenomenal position player prospects now on their way to the major leagues. We couldn't be more excited to see how things play beginning in 2022 and beyond. We've got another wave coming as well. The Tigers went very pitching heavy again. Back and forth we go. Jackson Job, Ty Madden, Dylan Smith, just to name a few. We'll be looking very closely at them in 2022. The million-dollar question now becomes, what are the Tigers going to look like going into 2022? And I'll tell you this, there's been nothing more satisfying than watching this slowly come together since we started this podcast back in 2019. To see where the Tigers were at the major league level when this show started as opposed to where it is now, it has been very satisfying. And I don't think it's crazy to think that this team can be even better going into 2022. I don't think that expectations can be too high for what the Tigers can look like going into next season. But in the meantime, they're still working on bringing more young talent to the surface to supplement the team they're going to field next season. Well, it's been a phenomenal season here on the Road to Detroit podcast. We wanted to make sure we thanked everyone who had a hand in making this season what it was, all the great guests that we had over the course of the season. Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson each came on a couple of different times. Great to catch up with those two and phenomenal to watch their growth in the system this year. I loved the Cody Clemens and Roger Clemens conversation. That was a lot of fun. We got a chance to know so many different Tigers prospects over the season. It's always fun because you never know exactly who's going to break out. Who would have thought that we would have talked to Ryan Kreidler, Bo Brisky at the beginning of the season. But talent has a funny way of showing itself. The cream almost always rises to the top. So a huge thanks to all the Tigers prospects who would join us over the course of this season. Thanks to the Detroit Tigers. Also, a huge thanks to the person sitting across from me. Nate Wangler has made this show much, I don't want to say more bearable, (laughs) but he has certainly made this show a a lot easier, and it has flowed tremendously well. Since we started back in 2019, it was a lot to take on. And to bring this to you each and every week, I don't know if there was a way that I could have done this by myself. The fact that we had Nate Wangler over the course of this season – and the season in 2019, he's an ace. And Nate Wangler does it as good as anybody. He's been a great producer, and he's been with us every step of the way. Nate, thank you very much for all your help this season. Thanks for having me on. I love following this team. I love following this organization. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, it's all going to be worth it someday. We're getting close. That's the thing. We have seen it move the right way. And I think for a long time, that's all we wanted to see. We just wanted to see the right steps. We wanted to see... The goal in sight, and I think since we started this show, I think we've started to finally see it move in that direction. It was hard for a while. I mean, think about how many challenges the Tigers had in getting to this point. It's not easy to go through what the Tigers have gone through, but now we find them with this opportunity, the one that we had been hoping for them to get all along. Last but not least, we can't do this show Without you, the fact that you have listened and come back each and every week to hear us talk about the Tigers, to hear about these players, to hear from these players as part of this show, it's the only place that you can listen to the Tigers' prospects themselves talk about their flight through the minor league system, the challenges that they face, the things they work on, the things they're happy with. 
the events that mold and shape these players into major leaguers, all of it happens behind the curtain. And it happens to be right here on the road to Detroit. Thank you so much for putting the Road to Detroit podcast presented by our friends at Carhartt into the top 50 baseball podcasts in America, according to Apple Podcasts. And also a huge thanks to our friends at Carhartt. They have helped us each in every way possible to help us share these stories of these Tigers minor leaguers with you. A company operating right here out of the great state of Michigan, putting together some of the best apparel in the country, founded all the way back in 1889. A huge salute to our friends at Carhartt. And that'll wrap up this season of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. We made it to the finish line. It's like when you hit that tape at the finish line, you kind of duck your head and that's kind of how it feels right now. We <laughs> lay on the ground. That's right. <laughs> Looking for oxygen at this point. Thanks so much for listening to us on season two here on the Road to Detroit. Can't wait for 2022. For our producer, Nate Wangler, my name is Dan Hasty. And until next time. See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.